Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, you're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, and this week we're reviewing Australian film Nitrum with director Justin Kurzel and screenwriter Sean Grant joining us, plus covering off all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. We do. And today we're talking Nitram. Nitram lives with his mother and father in suburban Australia in the mid-1990s. He's an isolated loner, unable to fit in, until he finds a close friend in reclusive heiress Helen. When that friendship meets its tragic end, Nitram's loneliness and anger grow as he descends into a nightmare that culminates in the most heinous of acts. Nitram is directed by Justin Kurzel with a screenplay by Sean Grant. And the movie stars Caleb Landry-Jones, Essie Davis, Judy Davis and Anthony LaPaglia. Popcorn Podcast invited director Justin Kurzel and writer Sean Grant to talk about their film that reflects on one of the darkest chapters in Australia's history, the Port Arthur Massacre. And we'll hear from the filmmakers throughout this episode. So the movie is based on the real events leading up to the Port Arthur Massacre. And the Port Arthur Massacre was a a harrowing chapter in Australian history where a lone gunman opened fire in a cafe, ultimately killing 35 people and wounding 23 others, including, sadly, a mother and her children who had waved him down for help. It affected the nation in such a way that a national firearms agreement was immediately passed, which was a legislation that outlawed automatic and semi-automatic rifles as well as pump-action shotguns. And a nationwide gun buyback scheme saw more than 640,000 weapons turned into authorities. That's incredible. That was enforced by the current Prime Minister of Australia at the time, John Howard, Mm. back in 1996 when this tragic event took place 
it still is very fresh in the minds of Australians and the world, I think, but goodness me, it's just awful that these things still happen, which is part of the reason why this film was made, wasn't it? Exactly right. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the name of the film and how that ties in? Yeah, so Nitram in its simplest of ways is actually Martin spelt backwards, Martin Bryant, who was the lone gunman that you addressed earlier. And it was a label that was given to him as a taunt by bullies and he really didn't like being called Nitram. But also more deeper, the filmmakers sought to avoid naming any of like the key characters in the film out of respect for those most impacted by the actual events on which the story was based. And also even deeper still, it was also chosen to call the film Nitram uh, as a way of avoiding any association and notoriety that might and usually is sought Mm. in undertaking acts of violence like this one. And that's part of the controversy that's surrounded this film, isn't it? That this is very fresh in people's minds. It happened in 1996, which is 25 years ago now, but it's still very Mm. raw, especially in the people who were there in the community. It was a very small community. And the writer, Sean Grant, has actually said that he understands the community want to forget the man's name, but to forget what happened risks history repeating itself. And that's their reasoning behind making this film. Yes. And they're taking a a big leap here. There's a lot of nervousness around how this film might be embraced or reacted to, but it's a really important story to tell now more than ever back in 1996 and now in 2021 with gun reform being a, a big topic of political conversation in many countries, most notably in the United States. So this film is a great platform to have a discussion, have an open conversation about this and the grave impacts that it has on a society and why things need to change and need to change right now. You mentioned earlier about the steps that they took to show respect to the community that were affected and also not give notoriety to the perpetrator. One of the ways they've done that is filming in Geelong instead of Port Arthur out of respect. So they didn't film in the actual location where it happened. And I don't think this is a spoiler, but there's been a lot of talk about the fact that they don't show the massacre. Mm. And I'm really curious to understand from your point of view, do you think that was the right choice? I do think it was the right choice because this film does have some moments of violence and they're quite unsettling, Mm. but it's not the focus of the film. And I think it would really distract from the type of film and message they're trying to portray here. But I felt deeply unsettled in the lead up to this. This is a character assessment. This is a a small window into who these people within this story were Mm -hmm. and what may or may not have led them up to this awful event that happened back in the mid nineties. I'm glad the film ended where it did, but it wasn't a comfortable experience nonetheless uh, in how, in how it was captured though. Right. I have to completely agree with you there. I think showing it would have tipped the balance of the film Mm. and sensationalized an act that is still very raw for many Australians. And I think It's especially shocking because in comparison to the US, we aren't used to firearms being commonplace unless you live in a rural community when it's used for hunting and culling and and farming. Mm. It's not something we come across in our everyday lives, whereas in the US they do. And I think it's really important to remind us of what can happen. Uh, They do say at the end of the film that gun reforms have softened since then. Yes, and that there are more firearms in Australia now than there were at the time of the gun reform being brought into place in the mid-90s after this heinous act. It's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? In terms of the story itself, if we talk about the film, 
this story is stranger than fiction, isn't it? Mm. This young man who is a loner and doesn't fit in attaches himself to an eccentric heiress of the Tats Lotto Fund. Yes, God, that relationship was stranger than fiction. You kind of led with that headline Mm. and you would think that Helen, played by Essie Davis, was a made-up character in this story for whatever reason, but she was absolutely real and absolutely, I would say, peculiar, Mm. Uh, right? She was a very strange human being and it was a really unique, interesting dynamic that they found a connection between each other yet they couldn't connect with anyone else in their Mm. life. And I found that deeply fascinating as a real element of this story. I also find it deeply fascinating that they named her. They gave her her real name, Helen. Yes. Whereas everybody else in the film, as you mentioned before, you know, his parents are actually called mother and dad. Mm. He's called Nitram. They, They take great care not to name anyone in the film and yet they've named Helen. It really is an interesting choice. And this film made a lot of interesting choices. I think this film had a lot of restraint to it, didn't it? Yes. Conscious restraint. And I couldn't help but thinking the entire time while watching that this man went on to kill and injure dozens of people for what and for why. Were you asking yourself similar questions Mm. as you were watching this film? And another interesting thing is that they don't really dive into his psyche. Mm. It's a mystery because how can you know? You know, they can make presumptions, but nobody really understands why he did what he did even to this day. Mm. And I think that's something that was incredibly unsettling in Caleb Landry Jones's performance in particular, which we'll talk about later. Mm. And also in the scenes, you talk about restraint. One of the scenes that hits the hardest in this film, but is also incredibly banal, if you will, is when he goes to buy the guns. That scene is just incredibly uncomfortable and really upsetting to watch, but it's the most basic of scenes, so ordinary. And Justin Kurzel, the director, actually says that that's the scene that rocked him the most, how easy it was to buy guns. Like he he walked in like he was buying fishing gear. And, And that scene in itself is the why of this film. Yeah, it's so matter of fact, isn't it, in how it plays out. The discourse between the gun shop owner and Nitram It just Mm. rolls off. He even asks a question whether he has a gun license, to which he answers no, but that's not a problem. It's still fine. He's paying cash and all the rest of it. God. As long as you don't register the firearms, it's fine. That's it. God. It's just so like, oh, my God, you want to scream at the screen. And uh, Justin, the director, said that that scene had the most visceral reaction from the audience Mm. at Khan, the gasps, that audible reaction to they couldn't believe what they were seeing and how easy it is in that moment, but then also around the world, how easy it is for people who are mentally unstable like Nitram was Mm. to acquire a deadly, deadly weapon. And you're just there going, why, why, why? Mm. And there's no answers. It's just extraordinary. And you were saying how you don't really dive into the psyche of Nitram so much. The only thing that gives you a very little real life taste was how the film opens with stock footage from 1979 when Nitram was on television because he was in the Burns unit of the Hobart Royal Hospital and he was being interviewed about what he'd done and he'd injured himself in the process of using firecrackers or whatever. But without any hesitation, he answers the question of the reporter, would you do this again? Have you learned a lesson? And he said, yeah, he would do it again without skipping Mm. a beat. So that gives you a little window in the type of person in some small way of who Nitram was. It's interesting you said the word visceral before, and that's another really important why of this film. Justin Kersel said during our chat that 
art can speak to you in a visceral way that a news story can't. And I think especially now we get desensitized to the news, especially if it's happening far away, you know, all the horrible massacres that happen in America, it's devastating, it's terrible, but it doesn't really hit you the same way. The Port Arthur massacre was something that really affected Australians all over the country because it hit so close to home. And I think now that it's 25 years on, there's a whole new generation coming up who don't remember that and don't know that and maybe need to learn this lesson. And that's the purpose of art, isn't it? So come in this film, Nitram, to help tell that story, to educate and lift up the hood on a part of Australian history that we don't want to be repeated. Mm. We don't want to see this again. And it's a deeply important film for Australians and anyone to watch, I think, for that reason alone. Exactly right. Let's hear from Justin Kurzel and Sean Grant on why they wanted to tell this story now and how they walked the line between sensitivity and reflection through art. Laughing at my pain. Laughing like it was the funniest thing in the world. I asked myself when writing any anything and, and the why now really came about when I conceived the, the idea and really dug into writing it was sort of that 2018 period and I'd been living in Los Angeles and there was a, a, a number of incidents. One in July, from memory it was, my, my wife was going to go to our local grocery store but got called to work and she went to work and, a, and, a, and an individual ran into that grocery store and started shooting. And then in uh, end of October and early November, in the space of 10 days, there was a mass shooting in Pittsburgh and there was a mass shooting in Thousand Oaks, which is just outside of LA. And, and, and living in America, you, you are just bombarded by it, the, the regularity of it all. And I was getting, you know, like everyone there, I believe you get frustrated. You know, you're like, what can I do? What can I do? And as a writer, I can only do one thing. And that kind of, you know, set me about, wanting to investigate why do these things happen and how do they come about. And if it wasn't for the fact that they continued to, the film wouldn't need to exist. But the scary truth is these individuals do exist and it was really about looking at them and understanding what gun reform does in order to protect the community and how important it was. Um, that was really the fundamental reason for, for digging into it mm. on my behalf. And Justin, what about you? I think it was that experience of reading the script for the first time in one particular scene, which was when he walked into the gun store and bought two semi-automatic weapons, like he was buying fishing rods without a license. Mm. And I've never sort of thought of gun reform or why we have these reforms in the same way as when I read that scene. And it was because I felt it. I thought that, you know, Sean had taken me into a world that felt familiar and recognisable. I, I, could, I could see that family. I could feel that person that you'd cross the street to get away from because they were coming to you and you didn't quite know who they were the the guy that perhaps you bullied or was bullied um at at school the mother that always looks fatigued because they're trying to kind of keep up with a child that's incredibly kind of challenging that world like i kind of felt it just felt familiar and recognizable and the way sean had sort of crafted it where you know, at that moment that that character becomes isolated, at that moment that they become their most dangerous, that they walk into that gun shop and so effortlessly buy those that weaponry. To me, just it just spoke to me in a really powerful way and I felt it. I felt it more than any discussion or debate about gun reform, you know, and, and, and that is what I think art can do at times. It can speak to you in a sort of 
in a, in a kind of visceral, emotional and truthful way that perhaps other forms can't. So there was just something immediate about that that, that stayed. You know, when we shot the film, um, it was the gun shop scene that we all looked at each other and sort of went, I, I, you know, we know why we're making this. And, and it was the same in the edit as well. Um, and it's even the same when we watched it, you know, in Khan for the first time with an audience. That scene, you know, people were gasping and you understood and you could feel their trust in that character had eroded, their sense of danger in that character had increased and there was something about that scene that was incredibly shocking to them and I think it was the sort of banality and the ordinariness and the absurdity, the horrific absurdity of, of, of someone like that being able to buy that sort of weaponry. I think if anybody has any reservations about this film and it sensationalising what happened, just listening to those two talk about their reasoning behind it just puts it in perspective, don't you think? I absolutely agree. Now, Lee, do we want to talk about the characters and performances of this film? Shall we start with Caleb Landry-Jones? Oh, yes, please. Some people may have some reservations or turn their nose up at an American being cast to play this Australian role, but Caleb Landry-Jones' performance is so unnerving. He's deserving of all the praise and all the awards he's winning for this role. Yes, he won the Best Actor at Cannes recently, didn't he? Mm-hmm. There were so many choices that I is enjoyed the wrong word to describe his performance, but I'll just go with it. But mainly around the physicality, it annoyed me a lot. However, I felt the choice of... Nitram always having hair in front of his face. Yeah. It just made sense. It was really annoying that he wouldn't move his hair away from his face, but I just thought it was a brilliant choice. And I guess it's a kind of metaphor for the fact that we don't really know him. We can't see him for who he really is because he's hidden. Yes. Whether it's behind hair or behind, you know, these eyes that you can't read, you don't know much about him. So it's a good choice. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And Caleb was able to really channel all the disturbing and reckless behaviour that Nitram displayed mm. in his life. There were some really shocking things, fun and, and shocking all the same, letting off crackers outside of a school. He called these young kids his friends because he couldn't connect with anyone in society because mm. he was so ostracised. Honking the horn repeatedly, which was so oh, upsetting to the ear, watching a mm. film and a horn keeps going. It just really gyrates you, doesn't it? But then also there's this really disturbing scene when he goes on a test drive and he recklessly without restraint moves the steering wheel to go onto incoming traffic and all mm. the rest of it. And how did yeah. that make you feel as this played out? It was just r- irrational. So unsettling. He just, apparently that was the thing he used to do was wrench the steering wheel away from the person who was driving. And it's just so dangerous. Terrifying. And ultimately it leads to something that we won't reveal, but it, it, it comes to a head in the film. It's just, Everything about Caleb Landry Jones's performance was so unsettling, unnerving. And can we talk about the accent for a second? Because mm. I think it was spot on. And an Australian accent is really hard to do, especially for someone who's from Texas. Because it's such a strong accent, the Texan accent. Yeah. Versus an Australian accent, which is deeply strong. And then trying to channel what the Australian accent mm. sounded like in Tasmania in the mid-90s, there's another layer of complexity there. And I thought you absolutely nailed it. You could have fooled me that he wasn't an Australian, actually. Yeah, it's amazing performance. And we've also got Judy Davis and Anthony LaPaglia as his 
worn down parents, as we said, named mother Mm. and dad, who are obviously exhausted by the challenges of raising a difficult son with all these issues and this behavioural problems that he had. And they take on the roles of good cop and bad cop, don't they, throughout the film. So the mother is the hard, hard line bad cop and the dad just kind of wants to keep the peace. But both of those approaches didn't really seem to do any favours. But you can understand they've probably been dealing with this behaviour for most of his life. And gosh, you'd be exhausted by it, wouldn't you? Absolutely exhausted. And in their both unique ways in their parenting style, as you said, one being more disciplined and the father... I guess in a way, enabling Nitrin's behaviour, mm. if you would interpret it that way. They both displayed a sense of hopelessness about their different approaches. Yeah. And it was quite heartbreaking to see because they didn't know what to do, although they were very direct in how they tried to manage it, react to Nitrin's behaviour. They didn't know what they were doing and it was quite heartbreaking to watch actually. And a very different sort of performance from Lapalia that we're not used to seeing, right? Mm, yeah, exactly. And also Essie Davis's performance. We're not used to seeing her in a role like this either as the slightly eccentric Helen, but she pulled it off so well. She was unrecognisable, wasn't she, Lee? Mm. Her hair, her smile, her voice, everything about her was so fascinating. I was so fascinated by the character of Helen. And Essie Davis, my goodness, I think this is a career-defining performance of hers. What do you think? Yeah, I can agree with you there, definitely. I mean, every performance she does is career-defining. She's fantastic. That's true. We do love Essie on the (laughs) podcast here. I found her whole life deeply fascinating. The dozens of dogs and cats, the big Mm. house she lived in, why she had all this money. There was so much to unpack about Helen, who I knew nothing about, and I want to find out more about this very reclusive, interesting, Mm. peculiar human being and her relevance in this story. Speaking of her and her relevance in this story, there were some things that were left out of the film there were some characters like in real life her mother was actually Mm. living with her her ailing mother was living with her and in real life the perpetrator has a sister and had girlfriends so all of these people are not included in the film and my take on that I could be wrong is that they chose to take those creative liberties and leave those people out because they're not directly relevant to the story being told and as another way of showing respect to those people. You don't need to put them in if they don't need to be there. Yeah, and I guess it brings it back to the word that we've thrown around a few times here is the approach to the film and being restrained in the in the story that you want to tell and have it really focused in because then it, you run the risk of trying to say and show and do too much. Yeah. So I agree that was a good choice actually. I didn't realise there were all these other mm. bit players in this story but I think they made the right decision. While we're speaking of performances, I asked director Justin Kurzel what convinced him that Landry Jones was right for the role and here's what he had to say about that. I think Sean and I was the first person that we gravitated to which is really strange because he's Texan and American but there was something about how memorable he was in some films that we really admired. And and there was a quality about him that was unusual. And we were very fortunate to, to meet up with him in Los Angeles. And he, he really responded to the screenplay. And just being around him, there was something that was speaking to us very clearly that he was the one. And we just had to make sure that, you know, the, the accent would work because the last thing we wanted was a terrible Australian accent in a film sort of like this. Mm-hmm. So he went about, you know, learning it and, and, and doing it for probably at least a good six months before we started filming. 
we're just very lucky. He, he's an extraordinary actor. And look, there are some actors that I think you'd sort of look at and you you know that there's no way they're not going to be anything other than American. But with Caleb, he's such a sort of enigma and he's such a sort of chameleon that we we really felt as though he had the ability to be able to um, immerse himself in Australian culture and sort of be and feel part of it. Dinner's ready. How directors come to choosing who they cast in their films, I find deeply fascinating because mm-hmm. no story is ever the same and how lucky they were to have found Caleb to take on this immense, immense role. And it's interesting that he was one of the first choices. They often are, aren't they? It's like mm. you start with someone, you see a whole bunch of other people and you always go back to the one yeah. you first saw. Before we wrap up this review, I really want to talk about the sound design because it was mm. so unsettling. I keep using this word unsettling, but that's what it was. You're sitting yeah. there and you feel very unsettled. And I wonder if it would have had that same strong effect if you like if you're someone international and you don't know about the Port Arthur massacre. Do you think that people would have still been on the edge? Well, I guess they are because it's getting that reception all over the world, isn't it? Yeah, and I think the simplest answer to that question is yes because of Justin explaining the experience of the Khan audience, which aren't necessarily an Australian audience, they're an international one. So I think Mm. this film is universal in what it's trying to say and the visceral impact that it has, yeah. It's interesting that it has such a universal impact because the sound design especially is uniquely Australian. I found myself tuning in to all these uniquely Australian sounds like bugs, lawns being mowed, the sound of the ocean, Wheel of Fortune on TV, you know, the old Wheel of Fortune, yeah. you just, that just sticks in your head. But then it's also incredibly unsettling in its use because there's one scene where there's a record scratching and he's just scratching this record to be really obnoxious. And then there's children playing in the background of a funeral scene. Those kind of juxtapositions are just really unbalance you really really unbalanced and look we, we keep coming back to this word unsettling i completely agree with everything that you took out of the sound design here it added a really important layer to this film mm. i agree but also a very simple one we keep talking about restraint as well and it's not a bad thing at all in this film and restraint can be incredibly incredibly effective as it is in this film all right tim let's do our best to wrap up this film now Nitram is a crucial piece of cinema. It dares to approach the topic of gun violence and gun reform in this country and the world. Director Justin Kurzel said of the film that forgetting helps us survive, but freedom comes from memory. And Nitram dares us to remember and to feel warned about the future. Art is powerful, art is important, and I hope this film brings about change because Nitram will save lives because it doesn't shy away from the uncomfortable. I'm going to rate Nitram four and a half popcorn kernels. Well, you can really feel the filmmakers have approached this story with sensitivity and purpose. No one is looking to sensationalise a painful chapter in Australia's history, but they do want to reignite an important conversation and it's done in a way that shows maturity and restraint and respect while still packing a real emotional punch. Nitram will unnerve educate and dare I say it entertain in an understated way that creeps under your skin and just stays with you and that is exactly the point I'm giving Nitram four and a half popcorn kernels Nitram is in select Australian cinemas from September 30 lockdowns pending
All right, Tim, on to news. We got the first trailer for Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth this week, starring Denzel Washington and Frances McDormand. It was a very short one, but very mm. impactful, wasn't it? It's slated to have a short run in cinemas before being released on Apple TV in the new year. I cannot wait to see this film. It's getting so much acclaim from the international festival circuit and it just looks fantastic. Netflix, Lee, has acquired the Roald Dahl Company and will partner on a slate of new shows and movies based on the author's beloved works, including a live-action Matilda adapted from the musical and a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory series from Taika Waititi. How fun is that? It's so fun. And have you seen Tim Minchin's Matilda musical on stage? I have, yes, yes. Isn't that going to make a really great adaptation here? Yeah, it's fantastic. I kind of wonder like whether we need to see these films Again, if I'm being cynical, it feels a bit like a money grab, but I mean, that's the movie business at the moment, isn't it? It, it is. Everything's <laughs> a money grab, but hopefully with the likes of Taika Waititi, they can put a unique spin on a classic story. So I'm still excited to see what yeah. pumps out here. Fantastic Beasts 3 has its official title, Tim. It's called The Secrets of Dumbledore and is set for an April 2022 release date. I have a bit of an issue with the title being The Secrets of Dumbledore because we know quite a lot about Dumbledore. So is this going to be Mm. a ham-fisted way of going, well, you didn't know about this and we're just making it up now and revealing all these secrets? You didn't know he was in love with his worst enemy, except we do now. That's true. I mean, I'm keen to see a bit of gay Dumbledore action in the third one. (laughs) That could be an entirely different movie. (laughs) That could. (laughs) So, Tim, Sam Neill has apparently been quietly filming a new movie in Italy with Henry Golding, Numi Rapace and Daniela Melchior called Assassin Club. Interesting. Assassin Club takes place in the world of international spies and elite assassins where a group of six targets are also assassins unknowingly hired to kill each other. This sounds (laughs) like a bit of a journey to be had on Mm. screen. It's funny, I hadn't heard of this film. It flew under the radar. And Tom Hanks is Finch in a new trailer for the Apple TV Plus original film, which was originally known as Bios. Hanks plays a man who embarks on a moving and powerful journey to find a new home for his unlikely family, his beloved dog, and a newly created robot in a dangerous and ravaged world. I think this film is going to break me, and I think that's the point, isn't it? It's going to be an emotionally manipulative film. Put a dog in there, put a robot that just wants to do right and save his master. Oh, my God, it's going to destroy me. Tom Hanks will pull on all the heartstrings for this one for sure. You can stream Finch from November 5 on Apple TV+. It's all about trailers this week, Lee, with the final look at Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween Kills. Minutes after Laurie Strode, her daughter and granddaughter left masked monster Michael Myers caged and burning in Laurie's basement. Laurie is rushed to the hospital with life-threatening injuries, but Michael manages to free himself from Laurie's trap and his ritual blood bath resumes. Of course he did. You can't kill <laughs> Michael Myers. The Strode women join a group of other survivors of Michael's first rampage who decide to take matters into their own hands, forming a vigilante mob to hunt Michael down once and for all. I like the sound of this story. Now you can catch Halloween Kills in Aussie cinemas from October 28. Continuing our journey on the trailer train, we got the first full trailer for Spencer, starring Kristen Stewart. This biopic follows three days in the marriage of Princess Diana and Prince Charles, which has since grown cold. Through rumours of affairs and a divorce abound, peace is ordained for the Christmas festivities at the Queen's estate. There's eating and drinking, shooting and hunting. Diana knows the game, but this year things will be profoundly different 
Spencer is an imagining of what might have happened during those few fateful days. Spencer is coming to Australian cinemas very soon on January 26. Now, this is a really interesting one to wrap up our news and trailer section, Lee, because Mm. an animated Super Mario Brothers movie is coming our way next year in 2022 from Illumination, featuring the voices of Chris Pratt. He's going to voice Mario. Charlie Day is going to voice Luigi. And Anya Taylor-Joy voicing the iconic role of Princess Peach with Jack Black as Bowser and Keegan-Michael Key as Toad. Goodness. I'm really excited for this voice cast, but I have to say Chris Pratt is obviously an incredible bankable star, but I don't think the casting's right on this one and I can see why they've done it, but I don't think they needed to put someone like Chris Pratt in the lead role to get people to see this film. I think people are going to be flocking in droves to see it because it's such an iconic IP, but they've obviously put Chris Pratt in there because they need a highly bankable star. I'm worried that Mario is going to sound like Chris Pratt. Is that a weird thing to say? Or like the Lego movie. What was the character in the Lego movie? Emmett. He played Emmett. Emmett. Yeah. Might end up sounding like Emmett with an Italian accent. (laughs) Oh, God. I don't know (laughs) if I'm ready for that. But hey, this casting is unreal. So I'm still really excited. And that's it for another episode of Popcorn Podcast. Guys, we covered Nitram, a new Australian film based on the lead up to the Port Arthur Massacre from Justin Kurzel. And you can catch that in Australian cinemas from September 30 lockdowns pending. And as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We are now on YouTube, guys, where you will find our latest celebrity video interviews. Simply search Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single one. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.